truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show. Live and on demand here on The Blaze. Todd and Aaron are alongside. 888-900-3393 is how you can let us know what you think about what we think. You can also email the program, steve at stevedace.com. And the last name is D-E-A-C-E. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show and like us on Facebook where they don't like us. So like us a lot there. Uh, just look up my name, Steve Dace. Uh, and keep hitting that like button. Maybe maybe Facebook will be kind enough one day, our benevolent overlords, to record at least one of them. Coming up a little bit later on, we've got a jam-packed show here today. We have discovered some of the most horrifying video in the history of Western civilization, and it's going to be today's truth bomb. And Todd, you haven't seen this yet? Are we doing soccer again? No, it's no. No, it's not. It's worse. I felt it coming. No, I, I, I was talking Western civilization. So right away, that ruled soccer out. See what I did there? Yeah. Uh, no, this is, uh, Aaron, you have seen it because obviously you have to prepare it for air. Yep. And I, I don't want to say anything more other than this is among the most horrific things that, uh, that we've ever uncovered on our show. Is that is that fair, do you think? Oh, it's it's more than fair. I you already said worse I, than soccer. I need an exorcist, therapist, chiropractor after seeing this. It's it's that bad. So, of course, we want to share, uh, and we will uh, a little bit later on. But I have to warn you, if you do, you know, you're, most of you probably have kids in school unless you homeschool. But if you're, you know, watching this later or listening later on demand, you do this as a family. When we play this video, you may consider uh, that this may before yeah it may be I, for adults only i would say get children and small appliances out of the room when you watch this indeed also we'll do this week's edition of fake news or not we're going to talk to a father-daughter duo later who have written a book about taking on the next generation or maybe this generation's embrace of socialism so we have all of that and more but one of the things, of course, that uh, we seek to do with our show at every opportunity uh, is to support worthwhile causes. And that's where our friends at Back to Jerusalem come in. Uh, theirs is one of the most worthwhile causes of them all. That's taking God's word uh, to the ends of the earth, the fulfillment of the Great Commission. But we have nations on this planet that are what are called closed countries, like uh, Iran, Somalia, you know, uh, where we get our swimsuit models now, uh, as well as members of Congress. Uh, North Korea, uh, Communist China, in fact, where their ministry at Back to Jerusalem is located. Their heart is to penetrate these closed countries with the light and hope of the Word of God, to get around the gatekeepers who don't want their people inspired and hope-filled, because such people have a tendency to be less tolerant of being oppressed. And so what they've done is they've taken the scriptures, the actual Bible, they've put it down in a small electronic form, easy to download later, but also easier to slip it past the gatekeepers in these countries and get it in the hands of somebody who's persecuted in a closed country. If you want to help them with this, their total costs from you know conception to delivery is about $15 uh, per 
scripture. Uh, if you would be willing to put up 15 bucks, that's maybe the cost of you and someone uh, at work going to a fast food lunch today. Here's how you can help. Blazehelp.org is their website to go to. Blazehelp.org, or you can give them a call at 844-305-0566. That's 844-305-0566. And now here's Aaron with what happened while we were away. It all started back in 2008 with the release of the first film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Iron Man. Is it better to be feared or respected? I say, is it too much to ask for both? Since that film, and including this weekend's premiere of Avengers Endgame, 22 total films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe have been released, weaving one of the most complex, far-reaching, yet accessible stories ever achieved on the silver screen. The first part of this story, however, begins in the 1940s, where Captain America, the first Avenger, is set. The next step in the story isn't set until the 90s with Captain Marvel. 2010 is the first sighting of Iron Man, followed by Iron Man 2, The Incredible Hulk, and Thor also in 2011. The first Avengers, a culmination of some of the heroes and heroines we'd come to know by that point, was set in 2012, along with Iron Man 3. I am a god, you dull creature! And I will not be bullied by that. Thor The Dark World was set in 2013. Captain America, The Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is set in 2014. Avengers Age of Ultron and Ant-Man are set in 2015. Captain America Civil War, Spider-Man Homecoming, and Black Panther are all set in 2016. Doctor Strange and another appearance of Thor in 2017. Avengers Infinity War and Ant-Man and the Wasp were set in 2018. And Avengers Endgame was set, kind of, in 2019. Now, if that fire hose of information is useless to you, know that what I just listed off are 22 films set from 1943 to 2019 that form a coherent arch narrative involving the Avengers, the group of superheroes who always manage to find themselves in between a big bad guy and certain global destruction. But it's not like these were all just popcorn flicks either. Major themes were hit upon in several of them. Liberty versus Security, Avengers Age of Ultron and Captain America Civil War, Malthusian Ethics, Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, Captain America the Winter Soldier, Duty and Honor even when your supposed allies have none, the story arc of Tony Stark from Playboy Billionaire to, well, sacrificing everything, and the list goes on. It's impossible to do any sort of justice to the cinematic achievement that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, specifically the Avengers movies, in just a few minutes. But the major themes these movies hit on and the excellence in filmmaking shown throughout the series is something everyone should be able to enjoy. So we're going to do a special Pop Culture Tuesday this week where we look at the intersection between pop culture and conservatism. And normally it's it's just a segment, but we're going to spend the opening hour uh, on this today. Uh, and so before we get to why we're going to do that, want to warn everybody, if you haven't seen Avengers Endgame, as the great prophet Mike, Ty- Mike Tyson once famously uh, ranted, turn off your station, okay? We don't want to spoil it for you, but there's really no, re- no way we can have this as a meaningful conversation without including spoilers to the film. Now, looking at how much money the film made over the weekend, I am I am not sure how how many people on earth um unless they got caught up in the snapping I'm not sure how many people on earth have yet not seen this movie it made a billion dollars in its opening weekend okay 
I mean, I, that's considered, you know, the elite greatness of a movie nowadays at the end of its run. It, it pulled that in in its opening weekend globally. So we want to warn you, though, uh, if you have yet not seen the film and intend to and you don't want anything potentially spoiled, I don't blame you, uh, then we're going to count to three. And this is where maybe we'll see you back for hour two or another time. Okay, that consider this your warning. All right. Three, two, one. Nice. <laughs> I wanted to do that. But <laughs> nice. I, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> well played, and Well played. So let's get to it. Here's why we wanted to spend the full hour on this, because we got to talking about, uh, you know, we, comparing our relative notes, all three of us having seen it. Just to, just to tell you the scale and epicness of this film. Aaron, how many times a year do you even get out to the movies in general? <laughs> You're the barometer for this. Love it. <laughs> Uh, depends on whether or not I have a girlfriend in said year. If I do, it's usually above five. If I don't, like zero. <laughs> so you've seen this movie three times this weekend. already in yeah. the opening weekend. Yeah. How many times do you leave the house except to come to work in a given week? <laughs> I, <laughs> I think that I think that says everything, don't you, Todd? I think that that is indicative when when. When the crusty millennial leaves the home at all, but especially three times in, a, in the span of a weekend, then I think this is a cultural event that I think merits discussing. And on top of that, the, one, uh, the second time I watched it, it ended at two. The, the third time I watched it, it ended at midnight. And you guys know about my bedtime. Yeah, too. it's what is it, like uh, 745? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, that's, that's your Siskel and Ebert thumbs up from back in the day right Indeed. there. Indeed. But, but these are films that, you know, Noah and I were leaving the theater for the second time. We took the rest of the family on Sunday night. My son and I were talking about it. He's never lived in a world where these movies, I mean, he was born in 2007. Iron Man came out the very next year. So he's never really lived in a world where these were not omnipresent conversations and discussions with him and his peers and his friends and his family members. Um, it's similar to, you know, one of the earliest memories I have as a kid is going to see the original star Wars right. movie when I was, you know, uh, three years old is when that came out in 1977. So I think we as conservatives are remiss if we don't have a conversation about uh, such a cultural earthquake that has taken place with these films, the themes that they have addressed, the, the values that they have actually been communicating, right or wrong, uh, the debates that they've been willing to have. But then also maybe during the course of this conversation, we're going to take a look at where we think this may be headed in the future, which we think makes the conversation we're about to have even more important because of that. And so we, just, we don't typically you know, compare notes about the show before we get on the air. A lot of what we discuss uh, we do it in real time and react to one another in real time. We were actually just sitting around after yesterday's show talking about this as dudes. And before we knew it, 15 minutes went by and we realized we're going to need more than a 20 minute segment to talk about this. So let's, let's just get the quality of the film and the way that it concluded really the most ambitious effort in the history of, of, of cinema, really. When you look at how many films that it, it's incorporated over the course of a cohesive shared universe, just like we never knew that we didn't really know what the term trilogy meant before George Lucas, right? We, we really didn't know what shared universe meant before Marvel 
Studios came along. So let's just kind of compare notes about, is the movie good? Todd, I'll start with you. Yeah, it, it's great. And obviously the bar is set very high. Uh, and they they met it. My biggest concern, and I, I loved uh, the first Iron Man. And as we've seen from many superhero movies, if that did not get it right out of the gate, this whole thing mm-hmm. could have been a flop. It, it, it ultimately is, it, it arguably deserves, including this last one, the role of greatest movie because of the tone uh, that it's set. But even then, uh, my concern, and I'm not a, I, I don't know much about the comic books uh, like Steve does. Um, but my biggest concern, they're never going to be able to pull off the shared universe thing. I mean, just, it's, it, it's too much. It's going to be too campy. Uh, and it's not going to be realist, which is why I, I kind of like the marriage of reality to the superhero world, just like within, uh, when Batman has done it best. And that's what I, in this last movie, uh, I have complaints about certain narratives within person, uh, within certain characters, but those are quibbles. What they succeeded in terms of the shared universe, it was simply uh, a masterstroke. Um, and that means everything else is just a stylistic quibble to me uh, that anybody is free to take or leave because uh, I, they did the impossible. Aaron, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I said in the intro there, this is the most vast, far-reaching, but uh, accessible and what I mean by accessible uh, films, and you know, as far as 22 films, all at least in part forming part of this cohesive arch narrative of the Avengers. And what I mean by accessible is that there are some really, and we've gotten into them before and we'll get into them uh, some more, um, there, uh, there are some really deep things and good messages from this film. And they are presented in such a way that it's so deep, but it's easily understandable and accessible, I think, for the typical person to understand if they think through. But as far as the actual filmmaking goes, which is the point of this question, um, like how, how do you top that? that you, the bar was set, kept getting set higher and higher and higher from the CGI. And, and look at, I mean, you look at some of the, even just the trailers from 10, 11 years ago mm-hmm. with Iron Man and watching that movie three times this weekend. It is in amazing, just amazing what they were able to pull off with the CGI. The acting was, you know, just top notch for, for all the main characters pretty much the whole way through. I mean, good grief. You, you really can't ask for more, I don't think. When I walked out of there Friday afternoon, having seen it the first time that I saw it, and we just had a brand new theater built here in suburban Des Moines, and I think it's actually, it's a locally owned chain, so it's it's a chain unique to Iowa. And so the, the Fridley family that owns it put up, I mean, they're doing this on their own. They built the largest IMAX theater, I think it, in North America, and it's in Waukee, Iowa, one of the suburbs here in Des Moines. And it just opened in the last month. And Noah and I went and saw this for the first time there on Friday. And that was an incredible experience. That The quality of the sound and the visuals. Much of this movie was shot in IMAX. You know, so a lot of times, you know, seeing a, a, a you know, an IMAX screen never really disappoints. But it's not the same seeing a movie that's fitted for IMAX compared to a movie that was actually shot in IMAX. Um, but uh, the, the, when I walked out of there the first time, and and I even thought this more, or I, this was you know reinforced when we walked out of there Sunday night. The rest of the family, all of us, went together for the second viewing. And uh, the last time I felt that way walking out of a theater was Return of the King. 
And, you know, that movie was even longer than this one. I actually went and saw, I sat through it three separate times in the theaters. I think it's the first time I'd ever seen a movie in a movie theater paid with my own money. You know, when, when we were kids and Star Wars was a dollar fifty, or Empire Strikes Back was, you know, a dollar to go, you know, your parents would drop you off at the movie theater for a couple of hours and let you just stay there to kill off some time in the summer, you know? So I can't tell you how many times I saw that or how many times I saw Superman, the motion picture, but I mean, with my own money and they're not a dollar fifty anymore to go. <laughs> the first, first time I ever paid to see a film in the theater three times was Return of the King because the the satisfaction of the culmination of the conclusion yes. having endured with these characters and these stories for so long. And then to see the way that it was in such a, a, a contented fashion culminated, you know, I just, it, it was, I just loved the experience of going through that, through that story again. And, um, this, this film does that. I actually like the fact that it starts slow. Um, the reason why I like it is because you get a sense that they needed to give you a sense for what life would be like if indeed such an apocalyptic event occurred in order for you to better appreciate what happens later when it is undone. The way they undo it is everybody guessed this, that they were going to have to go. There's a time stone. The guy, Dr. Strange in, in Infinity War, who is the keeper as the Sorcerer Supreme of the time stone, that is his charge, uh, looks you know, at all the potential possibilities and says there's only one where this works. Um, the fact that we saw in the trailers, Ant-Man comes back and he is secured in the quantum zone, which is right out of the comic books where there are time pockets and ways and stuff that in a micro universe to kind of avoid normal time spatiality. You, if you watch the trailers, you could have guessed they were going to use time travel to undo what Thanos did. But the way that they went about doing it, no one would have guessed. The perfection of doing an homage, of, of essentially doing... You know, it, you know what, you know what, in a way, what it was like. Remember when the Eagles came back together? Yeah. In I think it was nineteen ninety four for the Hell Freezes Over tour, and they were never going to speak again. They were never going to talk again. Don Henley, Glenn Fry, that, that whole rivalry and everything else. And when they got back together, and they went through Hotel California, Desperado, Peaceful Easy Feeling, Already Gone, and then they played the new stuff, it made you appreciate the new stuff more, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to, yeah, we're coming back together, but we want to be seen for our new stuff. We resent the old stuff. The 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 homage that the that the Russo brothers, and in my view, I think they take their place now next to George Lucas and Peter Jackson for what they've accomplished here. Because even though this is the brainchild of Kevin Feige, the, uh, the, the, the head of the MCU, they really are the ones that culminated it. They did the Civil War movie. They did the Winter Soldier movie. And in my opinion, the Winter Soldier movie before the two Infinity War films was the best Marvel movie. And I think I think it's the best comic book movie in this era other than The Dark Knight. The way that it is, how sophisticated the storytelling is, the way that it confronts the security versus liberty debate that we were having at that time with the spying and the NSA and all that other stuff, the way that it incorporated that and it showed both sides of that argument where Captain America has more of your libertarian view of this and Nick Fury has more of your um, 
if you know where the bad guys are, do whatever you can to stamp them out view of this. And and they handled it very fairly and intelligently. And they gave, I thought, equal depth to both sides of the argument and executed it very well the way Black Panther's introduced in that movie. They did that. They did Civil War. And then they did these two films. I mean, if they don't nail those four films, our our macro view of the Mar- of the MCU is a lot more diminished, don't you think? Oh, for sure. So I think the Russo brothers... Are on the are on the pop culture Mount Rushmore right now, and and I I liked so I liked the way the movie started slow. I thought it was important for us to be in those shoes, and that it it, it ramps up with each hour, and then that final hour, and and I, and to me that final hour really kicks off on Voromir when um when Black Widow and Hawkeye go back and forth about who's going to give the sacrifice. And that that's really the turn where now this thing really hits a crescendo. And the amount of times people applauded on the final during the final battle scene, the shot where they come out of the portals when everybody returns. Oh, yeah. oh my goodness. That shot is just crazy. Well, it's okay. And it's it starts I, I mean, I got I got goosebumps I'm, just thinking about it again. I know, and it starts so you remember how that scene starts too. It starts with Captain America has just gotten his handed to him. Mm-hmm. And he picks himself up and the armies of Thanos are descending and in his ear, you can barely hear it even in the theater. In his ear he says, "Captain, you know, Captain." Yep. Coming in on your left and then you see the portal. So yes. It's Dude, man. When that my my oldest daughter Anna, and it's funny how how much you measure raising your kids or your own childhood by these you know uh, cultural moments. It was seven years ago, and Anna had just turned twelve a couple of months ago. So she's at that age where she's still into all this stuff that she used to do with the old man, but she's kind of starting to like boys now. And I was doing a nighttime show for Salem, so we would often go to the movies early in the afternoon when you guys were all at work and school. Because we kind of, as a family, would have the theater to ourselves, so we went to a, the the a Friday afternoon matinee of the first Avengers, and you know Zoe and Noah were still small, relatively small, so they got they had no problem. They were excited to get all dressed up, you know. And Noah had his Iron Man mask, for example. Uh, Zoe was Black Widow, and um, Anna got dressed up as well, and kind of several different characters, and because she thought she was like, "Is it still okay if I do this?" I'm like, "I don't care," you know. And then, of course, um, there's one other car in the entire parking lot at that time. Gets out of the car, a 13-year-old boy. <laughs> the, look, the look of terror on Anna's face. He gets out, he's just wearing like a t-shirt and, t- and jeans. And she's got like all of her Avenger, her superhero gear on, you know. And we've teased her about that for years. So now this comes full circle for us as a family. Seven years later, we all go see this again uh, at the culmination event. And when when Mjolnir flies in off screen mm-hmm. and and ta- and takes down Thanos, and you're like, where'd that come from? And when and when Thor's hammer returns to the hand, and you see that it's Captain America, and that he he is worthy to wield the weapon. Oh my. Again, I guess got goose goosebumps thinking of it again. I looked over at Anna because that is her that's her celebrity crush, man. Okay? Is Captain America, you know. So, you 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 typically hear of when they when they love their dads, girls comparing guys to their dad. I I'm getting no. The, the boys are getting compared to Captain America. <laughs> 
<laughs> when she saw Chris Evans wield that hammer, I thought, I mean, she lost her stuff right there in the theater, but the whole theater did. You yeah, know, mine too. There's so many applause lines like that. And, and the symmetry of the storytelling early in, in Endgame or in Affinity War, there's a death, a major death you never see coming when Loki is, is killed. Mm-hmm. And Thor says to Thanos, you'll, you'll die for that. And then early in, in Endgame, major death you never see happening. And Thor, finally, he goes for the head and, and kills Thanos in the present anyway. I mean, there's, there's lots, lot, lots of things. The, the, you know, Thanos is undone by a snap, like he undid the universe. All of these things come full circle. I thought they left no, uh, there's nothing remaining that I, I think you, wit, that, they, that wouldn't have seemed ridiculously contrived, Okay. But I thought there was nothing remaining that when you walked out of there, you thought, I wish they would have done that. It is, um, it's incredible. And I think it's masterful. Was there, did you guys walk out of there thinking, boy, I wish they would have done this? Not really. No. No. Well, Todd, Todd and I yeah. exchanged a couple of messages on Friday morning after we'd both seen it. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was before you'd seen it, so you weren't in on this. But the, the word that I uh, described to Todd, I think uh, what I said was, it is just satisfying Mm -hmm. yeah i mean you look at a lot of franchises we're on which fast and furious now how many pirates of the caribbean movies and to compare and to even think about pirates of the caribbean fast and furious in the same sentence as the mcu now uh at its kind of conclusion of this phase uh it seems uh it seems insulting quite honestly because most movie franchises are just exist to exist because they know that they yep. make money. But with this, it was a true accomplishment. It, it became an institution. And yeah, the, the applause lines, man, the, the second the, the second showing that I went to, this was at 10.30 p.m. on Friday night. And uh, my, my roommate and I walked into this theater. And it was like freaking Comic-Con, man. I mean, everybody's <laughs> dr- you dressed up. Uh, the, the smell of body odor was uh, immense. And... That, Lots of Axe body spray? No, none of that. Oh, they needed some? Okay. Yeah, they needed some. Not that notwithstanding, though, that was the most fun of all of the three that I went to, showings that I went to because everybody was in it. It's so much fun. It, is, it was just such an experience watching it with so much enthusiasm and passion in the theater. Well, it's because they respected their source material. Yeah. Yeah. They respected, hear me now, tradition in a way that we just don't do that. And again, I can't believe this stayed on the rails for this long. It's a... It's, it, it's a miracle. And even at when, when Thanos uh, at the end, or at the beginning of this movie, it's instantly telling you there's hope. Thanos is basically turning in to Gollum. It's such an idol. He, the stones that he craved for so long, then he can't let them exist anymore. So he has, he uses the stones to destroy the stones and he's sitting there, you know, just on his own by himself, just yep. withered. Basically, and I don't need to say more than that, but it's it's they understood their source material. We talked about that with Star Wars a little bit yesterday, how that's clearly not the case with that franchise. I just I, I, I still can't believe that they followed this through to the end. And that can't be said enough times. So that, I think, segues to the next part of this conversation. Um, before we get there, though. Do you have most people probably don't have. Like a stop sign you have like a stoplight yellow means you're almost full red means stop eating you have that at you guys's house at your dinner table no you ever aaron if if you if you ever have a girlfriend again and you go over to meet the parents and you walk in for dinner for the first time they got a stoplight at the dinner table walking out <laughs> that would be weird. yeah 
um, you might think you're in the, you're starring in a certain kind of movie, if you know what I'm saying, yeah. right? Um, but you know, our bodies do have this stoplight. It's called OEA. Um, it's it sends a signal to the brain to say, "Hey, I'm full. Stop eating." The problem is for some of us. <clears throat> pardon me, especially as we get older and our metabolism slow down, that signal isn't strong enough. And that's why we keep eating. That's why we keep gaining weight. If if that's something you want to confront, if you're tired of losing the battle of the bulge, I've been there, I've, I've fought it uh, myself over the years, give Riduzone a try. Um, Riduzone has three ingredients. One of them's rice, OEA is the major ingredient in Riduzone. Uh, it's caffeine-free, not a stimulant. This is really just putting that OEA back in your body so that it helps your body to better regulate your metabolism. Uh, willpower uh, and that stuff only gets you so far. What you really need to do is change your, your lifestyle, and Riduzone can help you do that. Uh, if you want to give Riduzone a shot, you can give it a shot right now for a discount at Riduzone.com. Here's how to spell it. R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E. R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E for Riduzone.com. All right, so now that we've, we've talked about the quality of the storytelling and the filmmaking, we talked a lot last year about the Malthusian ethics that were introduced pretty prevalently. I mean, essentially, I, I even wrote a column at the time about this. Uh, Thanos is essentially Margaret Sanger. I mean, all of the arguments and talking points that Thanos uses to come that that you hear when you watch uh, Infinity War is, is all out of the Thomas Malthus, Margaret Sanger, overpopulation, we're draining our resources playbook, right? And I was, we were all debating: Would they let us down, and how they confronted this in Infinity in in, in in Endgame? Would they postmodern this? Would they flip it around? Would they agate prop it? Would they demagogue it? We'll talk about that when we return. Recent story out of Portland, Oregon, a couple there had their uh, home taken away from them by online thieves uh, who uh, they were both foreign and domestic, by the way, here and abroad, who found the couple's home title exposed on a website. So they forged documents to make it look like it belonged to them. Uh, And then they took out thousands upon thousands of dollars uh, in equity on this property. Uh, the couple didn't find out till late payment notices started to arrive. They even got an eviction notice from a foreign bank. Eventually, they were foreclosed on in, in their own home. Uh, they had to spend a small fortune fighting back against this. Don't let this story happen to you. This is a crime becoming more and more prevalent. We told you recently as well, they've had a couple thousand cases similarly reported, uh, according to the Manhattan District Attorney's Office as well, back in uh, 2018. Uh, Use home title lock. Just pennies a day, they'll put a virtual barrier around your home's title mortgage, which really means the equity, because that's really what everybody's after, the value that you have built up in that home. Uh, If you want to find out if your home's title has already been compromised or tampered with, right now you can for free. Now, normally this is a $100 charge, but it's free for our audience here today at The Blaze. If you just go right now to HomeTitleLock.com, that's HomeTitleLock.com. So let's get back to, again, we and we warned you about spoilers. Uh, let's get back to the Avengers Endgame conversation now from a worldview standpoint. When Infinity War came out last year, I, I was stunned by how, how direct it was. And Thanos 
essentially using all of the argument of the Planned Parenthood crowd, the climate change alarmists that we see now. Um, he used all of those arguments to justify mass murder. And I wrote a column last summer. Who said it? Thanos or Margaret Sanger? Because the lines of dialogue that he used in the movie are very similar to the stuff she was saying, even close to her death when she was giving interviews you know, to Mike Wallace on CBS and black and white on TV. And she kind of sang this song for 30, 40 years. And that's what Thanos was saying in the movie. We were concerned that Marvel would somehow paint him as some kind of an antihero. Remember, we had that conversation. Yes. That when, when the SJWs finally figured out that they were the, that what they're advocating for is the villain in the movie, that, you know, you'd start seeing, and, and we did start seeing it, videos yeah. that came out yeah. in the last six months. Hey, now that I think about this, yeah. Thanos is the no. good guy. Oh, yeah. That was, I, I was watching a, some, I don't know, there's tons of these movies on, on, um, on YouTube where you can look at the worldview and some yeah. of the deeper things of the movies. And yeah, I saw several in the recent aftermath of Infinity War saying, you know, let's look at Malthusian ethics. And you know what these, like you were just saying, yeah, oh, this is not so bad, you know? Yeah, I mean, if you know any, if, if you have any friends or family members, for example, who are Planned Parenthood people, pro-abort people, and they love these movies, do they understand that this, the culmination of this cinematic saga is an indictment against what they claim to be for? And a pretty, a pretty obvious one. So I, I was really fascinated by how they were going to address this in the new movie. And there's a scene early in the film. This film, I don't think, is as is, is heavy in that worldview theme because it's more about finishing the story that that worldview debate began. So they don't rehave the same debate. They, this is the finishing of that debate. And, we'll, and it's fascinating which side wins the debate. We'll talk about that here in a minute, too. Okay. But there's a scene early in the film where Captain America has been gone, takes place five years in the future. Captain America has been kind of out on his own. He hasn't, and, and, and it's, it's Natasha is now there. Uh, Black Widow is holding down the fort, and she's basically running what's left of a global defense force herself. And Captain America comes back to visit. And did you guys catch this? He says to her, yeah. you know, I was driving by the Hudson. And it's the first time in my lifetime, and he's, you know, now almost 100 years old. He's actually is 100 years old because he was in ice for 70 years. So he's lived for a century. And he says, the first time I can, I've ever seen whales swimming in the harbor. You know, all that pollution from all those people, all those boats is gone. And so the whales are back. Did you guys catch this? Yeah. Okay. And she looks at him and she gives, gives him a look of death. And says, if you're trying to cheer me up with that, I'm going to throw my peanut butter sandwich at you. Yeah. And he says, you know what? You're right. I, and it's in my nature to try to find something optimistic. And then they move on. And then the topic is never broached again. It's never even entertained that the world is better off without all of this life in it. That, and that they, in fact, they never are, it's five years go by, they can't move on. They never ever come together and say, you know what, let's, that, let's, let's, you know, let's build a better world. They can't. The devastation of the human toll of, of, of the loved ones, the relationships, Hawkeye the experiences. Story. Yeah. They, they can't even go to Mets games anymore. They're not playing sports. Okay. They cannot move on. All that is left in many respects 
there's almost a premillennial dispensational view in this film. There's a, there's a rapture-esque event. And what happens afterwards is humanity descends into chaos. Global governments can't keep things together. They talk about that. You know, we don't go back to our, this notion that we will overindulge now our sensual pursuits. In fact, they're, they're, they're boring to us. They have no meaning to us. So we go from obsessing about our favorite major league baseball team, even at the expense of our family, as you're often talking about too. They don't even play games at the stadium anymore. It's not, it's not a place to gather, to have fun. And we, then we go from the completely the, the other way. We dis, it descends into nihilism. The way that the, the coloring, the camera angles, have you guys noticed that the shading, just how darker it is when they're showing you this time period. It's incredibly bleak. Yes. When, when, when Margaret Sanger and Thomas Malthus get their way, this film shows truth and beauty lose. They're gone. And in fact, there's almost no effort to reclaim them because it just seems insurmountable. The power of that from a world. If you want, if, if you're one of those people emailing or tweeting me right now, well, why aren't you talking about what Trump did today? This is one day Donald Trump will be gone. Just like Barack Obama's now gone. And all these debates will still remain. This film is communicating the very ideas you've been voting for candidates like Donald Trump for in a very powerful way and reaching a lot of audience that we probably couldn't reach on our, on our own with this message. And then the way that Malthusian ethics is ultimately undone, ultimately the way it is undone, love knows no greater man than this, than a man would lay down his life for his friends. Tony Stark begins hedonistic, materialistic. He's one of the few that's actually improved since the snapping. But how did he do it? Marriage, family, commitment. He grew up. He got a life. In fact, he even says that in the movie. I got a life. He had everything. Money, women, everything. He's a friggin' superhero. And it's not till he leaves all of that behind to get married and have a family that he says, I got a life. And at the end, when Captain America decides he has done his tour of duty, he's done enough. It's time for him to rest. What does he go and do? Same. Same. He gets himself a life. Tony Stark lays his life down at the end. And it is this act of sacrificial love that undoes all of this darkness. I have no idea what the Russos believe. I, I don't. Okay. And I think these themes are so ingrained in our DNA because we come from the same creator and we're at the Imago day. We're made in his image. We can't escape them. It, it's like when we've talked about polls that have recently showed women like men who can provide them security and men like women they're physically attracted to. Oh, and like, this is breaking news. It's only been 6,000 years of recorded human history, right? We can't escape. And even in the film, it says you can't escape your destiny. We can't escape the Imago Dei. We, we are fleeing, we're running, we're doing everything we can. But in reality is inevitable. And it could be totally by accident. And, and, and they're just borrowing themes of stories that they've seen in the natural to weave that into this. So I, I, I have no idea what their background is. 
But the idea that a man lays down one man, a mortal man, he is not a superhero like the rest of these people are. In some respects, you could say um, at times he takes on the personage of a superhero while being human and he lays aside his superhero personage to sacrifice himself. If you see where I'm going with this, I do. you could say that occurs in the film and that, that is what Thanos cannot. He, he can defeat, he's defeated them all, but that he cannot. And I think that's a powerful statement, how intentional or purposeful it is. I don't know, but it's impossible to miss gentlemen. Your thoughts. And you notice how Thanos also takes Malthusian ethics in this movie one step further, mm-hmm. actually, to its logical conclusion, mm-hmm. which is, um, you guys should be grateful for me. Yes. Um, and since you're not, I guess um, I'm going to, quote, tear this universe down to its last atom. I, uh, ye be written. like God. Yes, yes. E- exactly. Yep. Because that worldview, Malthusian ethics, and really what we're talking about here is is part of what's at the heart of progressivism. It, it is the heart of progressivism. Mm-hmm. Um, it starts and end with, ends with death. Half of you weren't good enough. You didn't appreciate it enough. So I'm going to kill all of you now. Now that I know what's actually going to come in the future, I'm going to kill all of you now. That is the logical conclusion. Death, death, and more death is the logical conclusion of progressivism. Yep. And who defeats death? And you just explained it. That it's defeated by sacrificial love. It's, again, it, it's, it's an amazing, amazing accomplishment. You know, one of the other concerns that we had, and this came from, uh, Aaron, you had a conversation uh, with somebody else after Infinity War, that this was going to be, uh, instead of Malthusianism, this was going to be a uh, a setup uh, for the, the for deicide, for the killing of God, because look at, look at what God figures do. And so it's going to be an ode to secular. We are going to save ourselves. Mm-hmm. We are the people we've been waiting for. And you've already alluded to what you just said. It's, it's, it's just the opposite. It's when people get out of the way uh, and stop worship, worshiping their idols, ultimately the greatest idol themselves, and submit themselves humbly to the things of the good, the true, and the beautiful. Then all of the diversity that led to civil war mm-hmm. throughout along lines, it's it's set aside. And Iron Man flat out flat out says uh to uh Steve Rogers when they come together and I'm a slight paraphrase Steve help me remember they're like I, I just realized that holding grudges wasn't a good thing for me anymore. You know, yep. when they come together and he gives them the shield back and he yep. just says, you know, they're not the same guys at all, no. Steve Rogers and Tony Stark. But when it's just about the good, the true and the beautiful, then there's the, and then and then they can say to each other, holding hands arm in arm, whatever it takes. I got your back, you got mine. On to it together, wherever it goes. That's faith. When I walked out of the theater both times, especially having viewed it a second time, and I'll probably go back one more and watch it again in the next week or so. I, you know, we've used the word satisfying a lot. It felt to me like it was over. Now they're making way too much money on this. They, they can't just set it aside. Disney's starting a, its own comprehensive streaming service to compete with Netflix this fall. And they've already announced several uh, series within this universe that involve Loki, uh, Falcon, and Winter Soldier are going to have their own series. Um, 
Scarlet Witch and Vision will have a series. We don't know in what eras all these films take place, et cetera, or these TV shows will take place. The next film, Spider-Man Far From Home, is actually considered the final film of Phase 3. It's the, it's the epilogue of what, of what the world is like with all these people come back. Uh, and then the first film of Phase 4, as it stands right now, is the Black Widow movie. Now, she's dead, dead. They've made that very clear. Dead, dead. So this is this likely looks at some kind of it looks like it's going to be some kind of an origin film. They just acquired the Fox properties, and in there are you know some of Marvel's you know greatest uh, assets. I mean, I was a huge Fantastic Four fan as a kid. Um, X Men, a lot of quality stuff in there. Which on a scale of one to ten, though, with the stuff Kevin Feige or Feige is saying. I've heard it pronounced both ways. We might do with him like we did with Rod Rosenstein, Kevin Feige, Feige. Um, the stuff I'm seeing Kevin Feige, Feige say. How outspoken uh, on the on the radical, you know, leftist tip Brie Larson is. And Scarlett Johansson has a similar political view. But Brie Larson seems like she has that arrogance about her. Like there's no occasion to turn it off. Like if you, like if you don't want to hear my views on at, at, at all times, then, you know, there's, there, you know what I'm trying, there's never a moment where the moment is bigger than my views of the moment. And she's going to be the titular figure here uh, as Captain Marvel going forward uh, with Captain America retired. There's a new one, but you know, the Captain America is retired, Iron Man dead. My fear, and how fearful do you think I should be that they've already told their overarching you know, general story. And this is going to largely devolve from here to the SJW Olympics. How much of a fear do you guys have of that? And you know why I fear that? Because it's what they did to the comic book, comic books industry. I mean, I don't let, I don't let Noah read a comic book that was made after 2002. Cause it's basically every woman in there is dressed up like a stripper. Um, uh, you know, and 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 they've, they've the comic book sales have have dis, have declined despite the success of the movies, because they have descended into SJW madness. So it's not like there's not a precedent for this. So, are, let me, let me put the question a, a better way: Five years from now, are the odds better that we're going to say, "Remember when we thought Marvel was a thing? Marvel movies were a thing," or are we going to say, "You know," and I'm pleasantly surprised that they've held on to, as you put it, Todd, tradition. No, I think it's the former. Uh, it's even odds at best that this is going to be something that we look forward to movies that we we can't even take our kids to. I I don't know. I I I don't. I just don't want to come across as um, hopelessly naive. As satisfying as this finish was, I mean, even in the end of it, uh, and they're projecting forward with uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. I mean. E- I was enjoying that movie, but also seeing like, yeah, that's after what I just saw. You you guys aren't going to be able to carry this in this little slapstick Abbott and Costello routine you got going on. I think they feel now morally that they have set the tone with what they did to do what they want to do. This they, is, they are now yeah. going to do their snap. Mm, Aaron, quickly. Yeah, I would say it would be a 9 or 10. I mean, this side of, you know, east of Eden, it's, it's always a better chance that we're going to be doing the, uh, you know, uh, we can't take our kids or we can't go to these just for one reason or, uh, or the other. I, I think that's pretty, pretty obvious. But on the bright side, 
Uh, we've got 40 plus some odd hours yeah. of Marvel movies to enjoy for yep. the rest of our lives. So, Well said. Hey, uh, it's spring cleaning season. If you are thinking of replacing your carpets due to those stubborn pet stains, that's an expensive purchase. Before you make it, give Genesis 950 a try. All right. With water, Genesis 950 helps to break down the bonds of stains and odors so they're gone for good. Uh, and it's got an antibacterial component that also gets down into the padding because that's, you know, you can shampoo your carpets, but if the padding, you know, if you don't have a cleaner that gets down into there, Nothing in terms of uh, stains and odors, especially the odors, ultimately changes. So if you're tired of pet cleaners that don't work, and if you're about to be so tired, you're going to make a major uh, purchase for new carpeting, uh, give Genesis 950 a try. And it's not just for pet stains, by the way. I mean, you can use this to uh, clean bathrooms, kitchens, countertops, even the nice countertops, granite, quartz, etc. Uh, you can use it all over the house. So Genesis 950. Here's the website, genesis950.com. Genesis950.com, when you go to the website, uh, if you uh, go, if you use code BLAZE at checkout, code BLAZE at checkout, they'll give you a discount and they'll throw in a free spray bottle as well, but you really want that discount. You know, genesis950.com is the website. That's genesis950.com. How much time we have? Do we have a couple of minutes? Got a minute. I want to ask you, I, I shared with you uh, Thor and Hulk storyline were just unsatisfying to me. It, it, do you have any quibbles that, other than social justice warriors? Have anything you didn't like? No. I thought Fat Thor was hilarious. I, I, you know why I liked it? Because there needs to be a toll for what they witnessed. Oh, they, I like we the needed toll. to see them like devastated. The and, the and they redeemed themselves. And they redeemed yeah, themselves. Yeah. yeah. I love, to me, again, I think the movie, it's incredible. It's a masterpiece. Hour two is next. Back here with Hour 2, live and on demand on The Blaze. I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. Let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email the program for those of you listening on Blaze Radio or via podcast. Thank you. And if you are listening on podcast today, if you could leave us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice, we would appreciate that. Thousands of you have done this for us already. Thank you to all of you. But if you are listening audio only, you don't have that trusty graphics package ahead of you or in front of you. The last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. You can also like us on Facebook where we are apparently shadow banned and gain no new followers despite being on one of the largest conservative media platforms in America every day for two hours uh so click that like button like a lot and maybe if you click it i don't know 28 times or so facebook might actually give us credit for one you can also follow us on twitter at steve dace show got uh, bad news for noah good news for mom and dad in the in the mail this week it finally arrived our wax rx noah's not gonna like this but mom and dad have been looking forward to that okay so He's not the first young man to have problem with wax in his ears, right? And I'm taking him to the doctor, all that other hassle. Now we got to get one for shilling, actually, now. Yeah. We got to send one out to his, uh, you know, compound, wherever the hell he lives out there in the middle of nowhere, outside of Boston, uh, by himself and his family. He, like, literally lives, like, in, like, a compound on a farm or something out there, which is just peak Kurt Schilling. Yeah. (laughs) 
Can confirm. <laughs> so we got to send him some wax RX uh, so we can get his earpiece to work as well. If you've been putting off that visit to the doctor's office because you just don't have the time, you don't want to pay the copay, et cetera, then you got to get a script filled. What if you could get all those exact same results in the comfort and convenience of your own home without a prescription? You can with wax RX, a physician developed formula that will effectively and safely remove earwax buildup and then soothe the ear when they're done. If you want to try this risk-free today, just go to the website, usewaxrx, all one word, usewaxrx.com. That's usewaxrx.com. Offer code radio at checkout for free shipping. Usewaxrx.com. Offer code radio. Later on in this hour, we've got this week's edition of Fake News or Not. We'll get to a very, very disturbing videoed truth bomb, which is not for the faint of heart. Um, and I'm kind of a, a, an expert on that topic as of late, apparently. Uh, nor is it for the children either. Uh, but this next book uh, could very well be. Uh, and that's what we're going to talk about here now on The Blaze. Lauren and Robert Hudson, they are a father-daughter team. They join us here now on The Steve Day Show. They've got a new book, It Can Be Done, Students Leading an Exceptional America, and it's about trying to convince the next generation about the pillars of American exceptionalism rather than the dark embrace of socialism. And we want to welcome father and daughter to the show here, Robert and Lauren. Good to have you with us. How are you? It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having us. Greetings from the heartland in Kentucky. Greetings indeed there, Robert. Now, Lauren, though, it is my understanding, though, that you're the star of this tandem. You're the star of this outfit. Is that correct? <laughs> um, I would say so. But he helps every now and then, too. So where did the idea of doing the... This is the second book in this series. I think the previous one, we talked to you guys about this a few years ago, the first one you did. Where, where did the idea for this come from? Well... The first book had to do with capitalism and freedom. This new book, we tied to many of our family experiences, starting with great difficulty in life from poor backgrounds and overcoming challenges. And so the first book in the series is about business and capitalism. The second book is about the American dream and the fact that with proper work ethic, proper behaviors, you can overcome difficulties and succeed in this country. Robert, uh, let me push back on you right here from the outset, if you don't mind. Why why didn't you just invoke your white privilege and and use that example there for your daughter, Lauren? Why are you over? Why are you overcoming challenges? You're a white male. You are supposedly you have none. That's at least what we're told. Well, and 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 you just like in every family, you you trace back your your success to people who broke through. The first ones to graduate high school, the first ones to try to own a business. And we were fortunate to have those people in our family. And instead of looking at privilege as a negative thing, we're just very grateful that we had those folks to blaze a trail for us. Lauren, how important is it for your generation to accept this, to have it modeled properly by the previous one, like what your father has done with you? I think it's extremely important. If there's one thing I've learned after being on a college campus for a year, it's that you have to work for every single thing you get there. Every test grade, every quiz grade, every research They just don't redistribute the the grades? They just don't redistribute those? (laughs) No? Hmm. Since it's finals week, as much as I wish that they did, they don't. You have to work really hard, and I feel like it makes it 
it makes things a little more bearable if you have someone there that you can turn to, that you can look at and say, they did it, I can do it too. I know one of the things you guys want to promote in these books is something they're trying to demote in America's government schools, and that's critical thinking. Why do you guys think that's important? Well, I can share with you from my perspective, if if we don't have a framework to apply through critical thinking that, that takes us back to first principles, like work ethic, a willingness to embrace competition, um, embracing charity, courage, qualities like that, then we're really not able to analyze carefully the next big idea that's thrown at us, which might take the country in the wrong direction. So much of it can be done focuses on those first principles and the stories told in the book kind of drive the teaching points of those principles. Lauren, you mentioned you're a college student. I don't know where you go to school, but I just out of cur- and you don't have to tell us, but out of curiosity, how many of your students on your campus do you believe would understand what those first principles are, number one, and then would even agree that they are the first principles, number two? I really feel like it's hard for me to get a good read on the campus right now because I feel like there's sort of this air that it's kind of don't ask, don't tell with politics in general. And it could just be because I'm a science major and I'm not around it, but I feel there's this sort of negative connotation around it. And so no one, no one talks about it. No one spurs on the conversation. And if someone does, everybody immediately just kind of recoils and says, I don't want to get, I don't want to have this discussion with you right now. But when I go into my humanities class or my philosophy class and, or my atheist religious studies professor's class um, and, and tells, he tells me these are the things you have to believe to pass the class, everybody probably just says, well, I guess that's the stuff I've got to believe to get the grade I want and just puts up with it. Is that similar to the environment you're talking about? It's how it seems to be. I think that we've, we have teacher course evaluations at the end of every semester and there's a particular section for, do you think this professor was biased in their opinions? And I think that a lot of students can agree that the majority of them are, although they say they're trying not to be. I know that it's hard, but I think it happens. And I like to think it doesn't affect the grading and the genuineness of the classroom discussion as college is a time where you're supposed to develop your opinions and realize what you need in this life to succeed. Well, you know, Steve, when Lauren told me that being on a college campus nowadays is a little bit like this don't ask, don't tell concept when it comes to politics, that that's a big concern to me because college is a time when we ought to be having open discussions mm-hmm. about first principles and other principles, socialism, capitalism. We have to be able to talk about these things as young adults and adults without being uh, at each other's throats. And hopefully this book, for those who read it, will help because it begins with principles most everyone can agree on. And, and, and if we had that common, that common foundation, common ground, maybe that's going to make it a little bit easier for some of these kids to have conversations about the big issues of the day. At least that's part of the idea. You guys highlight uh, in the book the following propositions you guys posit forth. Most Americans are not lazy. 
are not criminals, are not socialists, are not racists, are not sexists, and respect or even, by golly, may practice a religion. You guys don't have Twitter accounts, do you? <laughs> Ever watch cable news? I think that a lot of the opinions that we see on Twitter and we hear on cable news are in a way the minority, but they speak so loudly that it makes it seem like the majority. You agree with that? So in, you agree with that is, in your generation, Robert? Well, I, I do. And uh, what we, what we want to do in particular is encourage these kids to see again, the common ground, because uh, it's certainly my experience that most people um, share many, if not all of these common values. Uh, occasionally you'll run into someone in real life, so to speak, who, who, who can't, uh, can't have a rational discussion about these kinds of issues. But that's the exception, not the rule. And I want young people to know that we can talk about these things. We can find common ground because if they are quiet about issues as important as socialism and capitalism, then I'm concerned that the negative, the negativity of socialism is going to catch hold even further mm -hmm. because people who value the first principles will not be speaking up and we very much need them to speak up. The federal government reported, what was it, 3.2% growth last Friday. Now, I, I don't, uh, you know, knowing my history and I having lived through the Cold War in, in my generation, the, the culmination of it anyway, I, I you know, typically when, when countries embark on an embrace of socialism, it's after the Mensheviks and Bolsheviks clash in the streets, right? It's, it's after the Sandinistas and, and uh, you know, uh, have, you have a banana republic. Uh, it's when there's been a collapse. In the West here, we are we are embracing this without those socioeconomic conditions. Why? Why 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 would we normally prosperous people don't volunteer to be poor. They have to usually have it forced on them or be desperate enough to give something like this a try because the previous you know the Weimar Republic didn't work, right? So what is it then, you know, why why do we have to tell this next generation, Lauren, that you represent, that you know you're fighting so hard and it's hard to get good grades, and and these same colleges that put all these demands on me and tell me don't cheat and work hard are also teaching me to be voluntarily poor and and indoctrinating me with socialism. How does that make that connection for the older generation that doesn't understand why in the why in the why in the Sam Hill you guys wouldn't just say hey three point two economic percent growth is great well we'd rather have that than redistribution why. If there is one thing that I can say about my generation that I think is incredible is that they are compassionate and they want everyone to be able to succeed and they want everyone to be able to be happy and healthy. And when you lay out the socialist plan before thinking into it a little deeper, it's easy to say, oh my gosh, everyone will be able to live comfortably and be, be able to eat and have a job and that would be awesome. That'd be so great. But as you know, it goes back to critical thinking, as you look into it a little bit deeper, you see that the free enterprise and free business model also 
steers people towards compassion and towards a healthy and happy lifestyle just in a different way. And it has better results in the long run. In other words, your generation is attracted to an equality of outcomes. Is that what I hear you saying? Yes, I would say so, because they want everyone to be equally happy and healthy. As opposed to and previous generations, just, Robert, wanted equality of opportunity. There's, that's a big difference, right? You're, you're exactly right. And, and we're, we're so passionate about this series and the opportunity to talk about these issues, to address different groups, because we want as many young people as possible to be able to think through these issues critically. It's, it's easy to hear the message of socialism. Yes, everything will be fine and everyone should have these things. But the least little bit of critical thinking causes the analysis to fall flat and fall apart. And we'd like to think that maybe we can play a role in communicating to different groups and young people on this point. And it's a terrific privilege for us. Where can people get the book? Did we lose them? I think we, I think it's cutting out a little bit. Can yeah, you I think yourself, yeah, please? I, I think we're losing them. Um, I would assume you can get it at Amazon because you like can buy everything there. Uh, but the name of the book <laughs> is it, it, "It Can Be Done: Students Leading an Exceptional America." It releases in May, which is tomorrow. Uh, that's when the month change is over. But there's a unique hook here, where you have a father and a daughter, a family navigating the current cultural divide and and how to heal that rift together i think that's makes it a little bit different than a lot of other books uh that that are along those lines we want to thank uh lauren and robert hudson uh, for joining us here on the show as you were listening to that conversation and you and i never said equality i i just laid out for her what what is it about your generation that they would say i don't want the lowest unemployment since 1973 that's the year i was born Right. That's that the real unemployment. I don't look at the rate. I mean, when we look at the percentage of people, because they're still using the cockamamie rate that the Obama regime cooked up to cook the books in their favor. So you want to look at the actual hard number of unemployment claims compared to the percentage of people that are gainfully employed. And right now we have the lowest ratio. Well, Steve, that sounds like the unemployment rate. Well, that's what it used to be. <laughs> it used to be that until the Obama administration wasn't getting the numbers they wanted, so they changed it. Um, but if you look at that ratio, it's the lowest it's been since 1973. We have 3.2% economic growth. You know, I, I, I understand why you would buy into a certain moral agenda and reject what we think as Christians or the Judeo-Christian morality. I, I understand that. Having been a pagan myself, I get that. But that's also why, as a pagan myself, you know, I was driven by my own pagan self-interest. Who says, yeah, I, I want to be poor? Who, who says, I, I, I want, you know, to not have as much? And what you heard her articulate is her generation buys into this notion of, uh, that you can create, we can, on earth, an equality of outcomes. Well, she, uh, she understands way more than economics in writing this book. Uh, she understands uh, theology because she's, she's talking about that her, her fellow uh, millennials basically are fans of the second of the two greatest of God's commandments. Love thy neighbor as thyself is embodied in that. Mm -hmm. But then what, after that, it's, did God really say? Yes. And along with reading this book, 
to read Marvin Olansky's. I mentioned it on this on this uh, show before. The tragedy of American compassion. It starts off with a good, but you let the desperate the the devil whisper in. And the most honest metrics that you can use, the ones you mentioned about you know actual data that you could point to how we're doing on this, what works, what doesn't, observational science, mm-hmm. those get thrown out, and you start to create as all mankind always has your various utopianisms, and it's and your version of what equality and fairness is. It's nothing but a a a, a, a funhouse mirror. Everything is bent and distorted out of proportion. Yeah, I mean that's whenever. Whenever you let any semblance of the notion that we can fix ourselves enter your line of thinking, even if you start from the right, uh, maybe a, a good, uh, um, uh, you know, a magnanimous sort of starting point or premise of of something that is compassionate, we need to have, you know, we need to, you know, what you, Todd just said, um, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Um, even if you start from a premise that may sound magnanimous. If at any point in the line of trying to accomplish that premise or take it to its logical conclusion or what it started out as its logical conclusion, anytime you let into that, um, anytime you let into that equation, the notion, to any degree that we can fix ourselves or that we are any sort of good, you are immediately going down the road of Romans 1, which is a lot of what I here, when we have these conversations, their foolish hearts were darkened. They knew God, mm-hmm. for although they uh, knew God, they uh, neither worshipped Him as God. That's the way you will, you will inevitably go. That's the way our generation has. It is it is cloaked as compassion. A lot of the things that we have are cloaked as compassion. And there's a really great line. Um, have you guys seen the new Netflix? movie uh the uh, highwaymen it's about i'm not based, seen that one yet based on a true story the bonnie and clyde movie the, yeah the yeah. bonnie and clyde movie so it's it's based on a true story of the de- detectives that go and finally hunt down bonnie and clyde and they come to this gas station and they're they know that bonnie and clyde have been through here and they pull up to this gas station and this you know kind of decrepit guy who runs the gas station steps out and these, the detectives, I think, played by Kevin Costner, uh, starts questioning him. You know, have you seen this car? Have you seen these people? And he says, no, no, not going to talk. Because this guy's getting, you know, this guy probably got a little something, something to keep, to keep quiet. And may even, at that t- point in time, even kind of believe what Bonnie and Clyde are doing. And uh, at one point, Kevin Costner's character, the detective, says, you realize what these guys have been doing. Murdering, killing, stealing. And the guy who who uh, runs the gas station says, "Yeah, but they're stealing from the bank, i.e., the the rich people." Mm-hmm. And so Kevin Costner starts to to walk away, and he comes back, and he just beats this guy up, and he says, "You realize that the cop they that they shot last night, their wife and children are going to be in the bread lines next week. What kind of compassion is that, or what kind of mm-hmm. you know, That is a great illustration about what, I think what Todd was just talking about." Compassion, you know, we might be compassionate, we might think we're compassionate, but at the end of the day, our solutions are anything but. And that's because we can't create an equality of outcome east of Eden, especially when we are as flawed as a species as we are. And, you know, we've talked about the principles of total depravity on this show. I'm about to prove it to you with today's Truth Bomb. Uh, Brought to you by my new book, uh, Truth Bombs, Confronting the Lies, conservatives believe to our own demise 
available bookstores everywhere, but Amazon.com right now. And if you have read the book and you liked it, if you would mind leaving us a five-star review at Amazon, would greatly appreciate that. Thank you to those of you who took the time to do that for us already. The video you're about to see is very disturbing. Uh, if you have children, now would not be a time to have them in front of the screen. So I wanted to give you a countdown. Three, two, one. This is a three countdown show or two countdown show. Wow. So might have to slap a warning label on this podcast, but um, you know what? I'm just no more build up. Watch this. Happy End mit Miss Berlin. Was sagen Sie da? Auf Schönheitskönigin steht auch Papa. Oder bläst er knapp die Sache ab? Na dann, fröhliche Weihnacht. What you're watching, Todd Stoic. What you're watching is Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker. Video of him appearing in a Star Wars-themed musical on German television in the 1980s. And it's every bit as dreadful. It is... Um, it makes sprockets look like Gone with the Wind. Uh, it's horrifying. And... I don't know what to say. Sometimes people pull you aside and give you nope. sage nope. advice and nope. say... Nope, nope, Todd, I'm not. What? I just... Didn't we just get done ripping on millennials? I think I, the I would first, think we were trying to encourage the, them. The first, the first thing I think that needs to come out of both of your mouth is apologies. Oh, see, he's give got me a, a point there. Give, he's a, got give a, me a second. He's, he's got a point there. The advice of, uh, you know, don't take yourself uh, too seriously in life. Take yourself more seriously than that. <laughs> you must. <laughs> Have Unex- some dignity, unacceptable. man. Unacceptable. I mean, oh, man. But the, I'm a capitalist. I don't want to get in the way of a guy making a buck to, for the most part, you know, unless it's obviously immoral. Speaking but- of small miracles, though, the fact that Mark Hamill was the his acting as Luke Skywalker in a poorly written, often poorly written Luke Skywalker, he, he was fantastic. He did everything he could with that role, but the real-life Mark Hamill, when he starts talking, he's no, he's no different than the chick playing Carol Danvers, you know? He, yeah. So it's, he's still that guy. It's a miracle we got anything good out of he's, Last Jedi He can be fairly insufferable, man. Oh, yeah. Like, insufferable. Like, after a while, you just want to say, he, he, his, his bitching and moaning about The Last Jedi, I don't know what you think, because I mean, I love the movie, but I get why you guys don't like it. I understand that. But if I had your position, he would, he would at this point make Ryan Johnson a sympathetic figure to me. Like, he just will not let it go, you know? I mean, it's just, he is absolutely insufferable. Yeah, but even he was like, when he got that script from Ryan Johnson, he's like, hey now. 
By the way, I, you, you never worked your way up to that apology. You said that that uh, was an apology. That was a joke. I mean, I was by saying it out loud. That's yeah, for my generation. Uh, um, no, we we and Steve often says, you know, sometimes we we don't grow up. Uh, we're always seven year old boys. Well, I I, I could ki- I would sixth kill, grade boys. Sixth grade boys. Yeah. I would kill for a sixth grade boy because that's that was playing in your diaper right there. Aaron, your reaction when I sent that video to you this morning and said we're playing this? I never want to hear another bad word about millennials for the rest of my life. Well, that'll happen next segment. So that's, I mean, it's, it's, how do you, what do you think he got paid for that? What would, and, and he was probably making serious money at that point in time. Cause you know, they made two star Wars movies in the eighties. What would you uh, now? Um, there's like what this was in the 1980s. Yeah. And that was before in, the car accident too. As you know, that would have been after the car accident. I thought happened. Well, it looked like his face was was Star Wars Luke Skywalker and not Empire Strikes yeah. Back Luke Skywalker. So I think it was before Empire. Okay. So that was in Germany. Yeah. In the nineteen eighties. Why? What would? What would possess someone? They were possessed. To think, hey, I'm a big movie star in the United States. Let me go over to Podunk, Germany. Where the Berlin Wall hasn't Pot- even fallen. Pot- where the Berlin Wall hasn't There's even fallen. There's your millennial. Podunk, that civilization's about 7,000 years older than ours, but continue. Go uh, at that point, it was Podunk. I mean, <laughs> and I'm going... It was an East German production. Yeah. I'm going to star in a in a musical production of... I, Actually, what? it may have been I an mean, East German production. That's before the... F- yeah, it's, well, it was well before. I mean, yeah. the Walden came down to like 91. 91. I mean, how? What were? what's up with your pop culture taste in Germany at that time, by the way? Well, like, you know they love Hasselhoff, right? Yeah, I, I knew he was a big deal yeah, over there. Well, yeah, there you go. Yeah. He was like their uh, top artist or something, right? He had like number one songs over there on their charts. Yeah. Yikes. Anyway, yeah, now that you mention that, Aaron, go ahead and just keep hammering those Germans. Go ahead. Yeah, they're, uh, it was terrible. Why, yeah, no why? accounting for taste. Yeah. I mean, they invented sauerkraut. That stuff is just beyond oh, wretched. I mean, I've, li- I've lifted a butt cheek and sauerkrauts come out. That's okay. how bad uh, that now, is. Now you're going. Sauerkraut uh, now you're crossing is from hell. Sensors. Hell. Yeah. That's, uh, our, that's our third warning <laughs> countdown. <yeah>. Okay. It's, <laughs> sauerkraut is amazing on brats. Um, if you like sauerkraut, this next ad is not for you. I, I don't want you to have a good experience uh, selling and buying your home. You deserve everything coming to you. That's how bad that, uh, that wretched that item is. But if you do have taste like me and you understand sauerkraut is literally from the ninth ring of hell, then I want you to check out Real Estate Agents I Trust. It's a company Glenn Beck and his associates started a few years ago because they were tired of real estate agents that talked a good game and then didn't deliver the results when they were needed the most. You know, kind of like you're really hungry, you're really hungry, and someone puts sauerkraut on your plate and you look at it and you're like, what fresh hell is this? You don't want a real estate agent that that you would give a similar look to, all right? You want an agent who understands the difficult uh, process of selling a home, has a long track record of navigating it, doesn't just rely on algorithms, and you even get along with at the same time because, you know, this will be one of the more stressful times in your life. Trust me, I've done it a couple times myself. So if you want to find an agent worthy of you, you want to check out real realestateagentsitrust.com here's the website again realestateagentsitrust.com but it's only for good people who understand how wretched and vile sauerkraut is we'll come back fake news or not is next stay tuned
in trouble with that last rant on sauerkraut when I get home, probably. As you should be. My wife was born in Nuremberg, West Germany, went to German schools when she was little, loves German food. So it's a good thing she like never listens to this. Otherwise, I, I'd, I'd, I'd be on the hit list, the crap list when look, I got home. The look, sour, Should I say I'd be on the sauerkraut list when I got home? Amy, what? I'm just saying the gauntlet has been thrown down. So in terms of the day's household on this matter, I think it's fair to ask this question, Amy. When it comes to sauerkraut, who wears the pants in this family? <laughs> you're up, sister. I'm nice. counting on you. Nice. Hey, um, if you're looking and striving to eat a healthier lifestyle, and you should be, uh, but it's not always convenient. It sometimes can also be expensive. If you want to tackle both of those things at once, check out a product called Field of Greens from our friends at Brickhouse Nutrition. Now you don't have to worry about eating your vegetables because you get to drink them in a delicious drink that tastes a lot like those uh, naked juices that are so popular these days, just minus the 90 grams of sugar that go along with them as well. You know what's missing when we don't eat our vegetables, by the way? Um, you know, all of those probiotics, prebiotics. We, so many of us have digestive issues nowadays. One of the reasons why those healthy bacteria aren't in our bodies uh, the way we they used to be when we used to eat more fresh food, eat more produce. And what you have with Field of Greens is real USDA fruits and vegetables. That's why we turn over the label. It won't say supplement facts. It will say nutrition facts. It's made with real food. So it, it's the real vegetables that are giving you the antioxidants. Those are immunity boosters, by the way, and other things that you're missing in the average American diet. And right now, if you want to try this and get your kids to drink their vegetables as well, go to BrickHouseSteve.com. That's BrickHouseSteve.com. And if you use my name steve is a promo code you'll get 15 percent off of your first order for field of greens brickhousesteve.com promo code steve let's get to it this week's edition of fake news or not remember we largely just ignore what goes on in the other america's media because that's leftist today like al jazeera russia today that, that's not for us so no point fact-checking people who have really no interest in communicating to us facts. We are focused squarely on news providers and newsmakers that are supposedly meant for people like you. And we begin with a little Fox on Fox crime. Questions are, and we, that's what our decision is. If he doesn't show up on Thursday, we'll have to go to subpoenas. Here now, Chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Lindsey Graham. He is, uh, his committee is expected to question Attorney General Barr on Wednesday. Senator Graham, oh, always good to have you with us. Thank you very much for being here, Mr. Thank Chairman. You. Um, I know that. a subpoena, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Uh, I want to get to that in a moment, but I, I also know you, you wanted to respond to what Judge Napolitano yeah. said about his yeah. disagreement with, with yeah. the Attorney General over the yeah. issue of obstruction. Well, you know, I, you know, I like Judge Napolitano, but he's completely 100% wrong. The obstruction of justice pertains to colluding with the Russians, not firing Comey. The theory is that you fire Comey to stop the Russian investigation. What do we know after the Mueller report? There was no collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russians. There is no underlying crime. What do we also know? That the Trump administration gave the special counsel a million documents, allowed people to testify, McGahn, for 30 hours, and never claimed executive privilege. To the Sally Yates of the world, this ridiculous, absurd to charge this president with obstructing justice when there was no underlying crime to obstruct, and he cooperated fully with the special counsel. And finally, name one event 
that Donald Trump engaged in that impeded the Mueller investigation. All right. Uh, uh, duly, duly noted. And uh, we'll register <laughs> your complaints with, uh, with Judge Napolitano. Fascinating dialogue there. And frankly, I think that's we need more of that in the uh, left of America media, as opposed to just fashioning narratives. How do we combat their narrative? I, I, which, you know, I, I don't have a problem with combating their narrative when it invades our airspace. OK, but I think there needs to be more of an exchange of we don't that doesn't mean, by the way, we have to all agree on we fashion our counter narrative and we all have to have the same talking points. So in the case of Judge Napolitano, you have a former, I think, federal judge or district court judge. Um, and then with uh, Lindsey Graham, I believe he was a JAG. I think he was a judge advocate general in the military. So these are two guys that have an extensive background in the law. He quoted Sally Yates, who I think was the final attorney general, if I remember right, for the uh, Obama administration, which she the last one that sounds right um so and he's he's making the argument that you can't have obstruction of justice without a crime just so you guys know in 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 the law you can still commit obstruction of justice even if you didn't commit a crime okay but the last point that he made there i thought was fascinating when he to me i thought that was his best case and then you guys tell me if you think it's fake news or not because judge napolitano has been just savage on the, on uh, obstruction of justice in his view and what he's read in the Mueller report, hammering Trump on that. But Lindsey Graham has it just uh, kind of boilerplates it there at the end and says, hey, it, it, what, in what way was any of the Mueller investigation or the outcome of this investigation impeded by the Trump administration? And name me one. Your thoughts, gentlemen, fake news or not what you just saw? Uh, not fake news. And this speaks to what you said yesterday in your uh, Truth Bombs uh, book study about ultimately not being a fanboy, not being a respecter of persons, just be ruthless in your pursuit of the truth. Uh, we could, if you want to, you could caricature uh, Lindsey Graham, and, and you have fun, Steve, caricaturing Lindsey Graham. And they're all to, deserved. To such an extent that you would not put this on or give mm-hmm. him any benefit of the doubt given, but here we are, and you did, because the truth is more, way more important than any one personality. And on that note alone, uh, that's not fake news. As it's uh, then more specifically, both sides are aired. That's what we need more of. We need grown-up conversations where you let iron sharpen iron. So on that front as well. Furthermore, I'm still open to the possibility of going on a deep dive on 400 pages that we can talk about the notion of uh, obstruction uh, of justice. But I'm absolutely not into idols on any way, shape, or form. There's so much gray area on that conversation to see. To pretend that there is still lightning in a bottle ready to be captured is folly, and so there's truth in that as well. What do you think, Aaron? Fake news or not? You know what? I can, can I actually call an audible here? I'll tell you what I think after this next clip, because I think it'll tie in actually kind of nicely. Okay. If you're cool with that. All right. Next clip. The problem isn't her new green deal. It's the fact that there's over 100 Democrats in the House and Senate, and these presidential candidates are supported, and everything's going to be free and get rid of cows and airplanes and the combustion engine, oil and gas. It's insane. But the problem is they play to an innate fear of people. I mean, I have less than a minute, and the fear is, oh, we'll, we promise yes. every worry in your life is gone. And I'm like, remember, keep your doctor, plan and pay less. They never fulfill that promise. That's the scary part. 
I think people are too smart for that. And by the way, speaking of the Green New Deal, she got a lot of, again, fanfare and heroes welcome for that. And then when it went to the actual vote in the United States Senate, not a single Democrat voted for it. They were so cowardly, they voted present, including those who were running for president, said, we must have a Green New Deal. This is the future. Yay. And then they didn't have the guts to even give an affirmative vote to it. So a lot of these ideas sound great. They're a sugar high, empty calories, free this, free that. Americans are too smart for that. When they hear that you're going to have free housing, free college, free health care, they know they're going to be the ones paying the bill some way, somehow. Aaron, fake news or not there? Complete and total fake news. And the reason that that, 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 that is fake news is the same reason that you're not going to get more of the actual debate <laughs> that we just heard in the last clip. Um, didn't we just talk about last week, I think on the Dace Group, uh, or maybe it was the week before, with the free college tuition, mm-hmm. um, Americans are, are, are not that smart. I think that's pretty clear. The fact that we have set so many of these precedents in the in the past, where where does anybody's generation? I don't care which generation you come from. Where does anybody's generation? When we've had this for um, starting with the actual New Deal, um, where does anybody's de- generation or anybody get off saying, "Well, that's just you know this pork over here is just a bridge too far. We're not gonna. You got to get up a little bit earlier to trick us Americans on that one. No, no." Nobody, nobody gets off saying that because we've set so many precedents before. Even though it sounds the cow farts, ha 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 ha, that's funny. Uh, that sounds hilarious, but we really don't have a rational leg to stand on. So no, that is complete and total fake news from Kellyanne Conway. I don't hmm. think Americans are smart enough to say, yeah, somebody's, you know, we're not, we're not going to fall for that one. And the reason, and the same reason why Americans are not smart enough. Um, and I'm, I wouldn't say smart enough. That sounds incredibly condescending. Just not paying attention enough in mass to say, yeah, we're not going to fall for that one is the same reason I think that we don't get more conversations, more actual arguments, not the fake phony baloney, Skip Bayless, um, whatever his other name sure. is, uh, arguments that we get uh, from most of you know just trolling each other. You're racist. You're sexist. That that's the reason why we're not going to get some actual you know stake arguments like we kind of had between Lindsey Graham and Judge Napolitano. So to answer your question, that's fake news. Also, as it relates to the GOP, uh, you can sit there and rip on uh, a show vote uh, or uh, some, saying you believe one thing and not acting on it. Well, that describes the GOP through yeah. and through and through as well. So you can't indict the left alone on that. What I found fascinating about that exchange, I don't know if you guys picked up on this, and maybe I'm wrong. But is I thought Hannity was actually making a point similar to yours, Aaron, and his setup to the question. Hey, we've seen him. He's basically saying Americans, we've seen them fall for this before. Hey, uh, you can, if you like your doctor, you can keep it. Yeah, yeah, great. You know, healthcare for everybody. Everybody's covered. And when I keep my doc, no, you can't. You know, and so he's like sounding the alarm like, hey, we've seen people fall for this before. And you see Kellyanne just kind of totally say, no, nah, I think people are too smart. They won't fall for that. Did you guys? Kind of pick up on that well, dynamic. Yeah. She answered the question she wanted to yeah. answer. And, and, and that's her job, actually. Yeah, that is her job. All right, next clip. I want to get a reaction from the Federalist, Emily Jasinski. Emily, what are your, th- your thoughts as he shook off the rust of campaigning? Yeah, I have to say that's a great way to phrase it, shook off the rust, because I've been skeptical from some of his early uh, media hits that he, he wasn't doing that. But frankly, that was excellent. It was a good bid for the center for some of the Democratic Trump voters. Now, the problem is it's a pitch that would probably work very well in a general election against the president. 
What do you think? Fake news or not, Todd? Well, not having seen it, but I can I can totally envision what Joe said, the way he was acting. That yeah, it, it's not totally leftist crazy. So from our perspective, it looks like uh, something that reasonably people want to sit down and listen to. Um, but he's also right that we know who the left is, what they think. And we've already. I mean, how how long ago did did you sound the alarm on Joe being uh, done? Even though like months beyond that, you said that he would be, have to be taken seriously. Well, events continue to happen very rapidly. Uh, so that's. It's true news that a moment you'll say, hey, there's good old Joe. America likes good old Joe. We aren't living in good old America anymore. This is not the Saturday Evening Post. What do you think, Karen? I have not watched a nanosecond. <laughs> I should probably not admit this on air. I haven't watched a nanosecond of Joe Biden's announcement speech. I saw it all over Twitter. Having said that, I can tell you with complete and total certainty that what that lady was saying about the uh, announcement is completely true news. That is not fake news. That is completely true news. And I'll tell you why. When you were gone last weekend, Steve, we discussed, um, that was just the day after that big CNN town hall with several Democratic candidates. Mm -hmm. And I sat here, and as I was was talking, I said, and I really believe this, and I I still believe this, compared to all the other crazy crap that the rest of the Democrats say, and yeah, Bernie Sanders is for letting felons vote. Sure, that's crazy. Compared to all the other crazy crap that the rest of the field says and believes and does, Bernie Sanders is actually kind of likable. If Bernie Sanders, compared to the rest of the field, is likable, what is Joe Biden? Yeah. So that's why I say that's completely true news. Well, speaking of Bernie Sanders, this brings us to our final clip on this week's edition of Fake News or Not. Here it is. What do you think about Bernie Sanders? If Bernie Sanders is for getting rid of low-skilled yeah. workers so it's to ensure higher wages and for protecting them. the border, if he went back to his original position, which is the pro-blue-collar position, I mean, it totally makes sense with him. If he went back to that position, I'd vote for him, I might work for him. I don't care about the rest of the socialist stuff. Just, can we do something for ordinary Americans? Fake news or not, Ann Coulter's bargain, if he... If he was right on immigration, I'd put up with it. I'd maybe vote for him, maybe work for him. Um, and, you know, uh, the other socialist stuff doesn't matter to me because that would be a, a positive blow for ordinary Americans. I, I think that's true news. I, I In what context do you think it's true news? I just, that that's what she really thinks? Is that what listen, you're saying? I, oh, I, yeah. You can be two things at the t- same time. She she is inherently bombastic, and she's found a shtick as uh, the loudmouth, attractive blonde in a slinky black dress, and it has worked for It is sold. So she's made her money. But that's not. she's not a woman without some genuine belief. How high she turns the volume up on that belief is And I think... There is a part of Ann Coulter, like there is on both sides of the political spectrum, that is looking for their Donald Trump. Just fed up and somebody who will do the one thing on the one issue that I'm, I care about. So I, I think there is real true news there. Why? Go ahead, Aaron. I, I, I in the context of, yes, in the context of, of Ann Coulter, Working, believing this, working for Bernie Sanders, absolutely. Because what is one thing we know about Ann Coulter? For sure. She craven opportunist. Craven opportunist. Yeah. So yes, I believe that. Just hearing the words, I actually I laughed at that. You heard me laughing at that earlier today when I was <laughs> as I was prepping. I laughed at that. 
I actually, having heard this and thinking through it, I actually kind of respect her quite a bit more now. Because she's just saying, yeah, uh, whoever's the highest bidder. I mean, basically, I mean, it, is it going to be in Bernie we trust now? Um, you know, I actually respect that. Just be honest. Just be honest about who, who you know, who you are. Because I don't think it's just the 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 issue of immigration. I, she doesn't. I don't see how. I don't. This is a much broader and longer conversation than what we have time for. But I actually kind of do have a little bit more respect for her now because she's just saying, yeah, whoever you know, whoever actually will um, will be the highest bidder, whoever I can offer my services to, that's who I'm going to go with, essentially. You think it's total fake news, right? I think the woman's unstable. Oh, that, that's what I think. That can be true too. And it's the year of no BS. So I'll just come out yeah. and say it. I think she's unstable. And you know, first of all, socialism as a construct is not nationalistic in any nature whatsoever. No. It's a globalistic one. So the idea that's that what it, I was saying, yeah, this is a much the, broader the idea that a socialist yeah. would say, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna secure the border, and then we're gonna give everybody all these freebies." is just, it's beyond asinine. It's a fallacy. And I know yeah. from personal experience that she is smarter than that. I know that she is, okay? So um, I just think the woman's unstable. Yeah, and don't let, when I say it's true news, it's not that I agree with it. I, the analysis yeah. is whether she believes yeah, it. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy your George Costanza. Yeah. It's not a lie if you yeah, believe it. Yeah, yeah. I believe what she, I believe she believes what she just said. Yes. But what she just said is fake. Indeed. I believe she <laughs> believes it. It's just fake. You know, whether she believes That's it or not. That's all of like American politics right there. <laughs> so she's not, a re- she's not so, even original. So make sure you tune in tomorrow. A lot of Americans are suffering from pain, especially <laughs> after this last conversation. <laughs> a lot, but a lot of it is chronic. Uh, and it, that means it's based out of inflammation. If you want help fighting that inflammation, check out Relief Factor. So many people here at The Blaze have had positive results by using Relief Factor, and they want to share those positive results with you. That's why Relief Factor right now is offering a three-week quick start of their product. It's a dollar a day, nineteen ninety-five to get started for three weeks. It's all natural, four key ingredients that are natural that help you uh, and your body fight and win the battle against inflammation, 100% drug free drug free but created by physicians and the vast majority of the people that try this trial pack will come back and sign up to use this on a regular basis because of the results they see if you want to give it a shot what do you got to lose for 20 bucks except maybe the pain go to relieffactor.com that's relieffactor.com do the three-week quick start for just 1995 at relieffactor.com what I meant by with that, she's smarter than those sorts of fallacies. She's smarter than that. I just, you know. Give, giving her the most benefit of the doubt. Maybe this is three-dimensional chess or something. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll support Bernie if he secures the border. But she knows he's not. But I don't think that's... I don't, trying to give the benefit of the doubt. That's all. No, no. When I Thinking she's unstable. I actually was giving her the benefit of the doubt, actually. <laughs> John three seventeen. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.